straight, straight from South Africa. South Africa. This is the strange and mysterious world with your hosts, Lee Straightman, William Collinson. Collinson. Welcome to Strange Mysterious World. This is Leon William. This is season one, episode 17. And we will be chatting to Seth Shostak in a very f- in a few minutes now. Um, he is the head astronomer for SETI. I uh, can't wait to get him on. But before we do, well, your shooting has been taking quite some time from you this last couple of weeks. And uh, you've been finishing at seven, eight, nine o'clock at night every day. How are you feeling? Yeah, it's easy. I'm pretty, I'm pretty um, beat, pretty tired. So I hope I'll be here today. Yeah, lucky that long string of questions. I hope you can hold the fort. We've got them ready, man. We've got them ready. <laughs> Seth, how's it? I think we've got. Yeah, we've got okay. Yeah, there you go. Looking yeah. good, Seth. Where are Lovely. you guys in the UK? You sound like you're in the UK. No, we South Africa. South Africa. Right, we're so we miles away. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Are we going to do this in Afrikaans? Can you bikki funny tal prat? Well, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> okay, that's really cool. Oh, that's wow. cool. Okay. All right. So, Seth, I kind of did a bit of an introduction for you a little bit earlier. So, you'll probably have, if you do listen to the podcast, you'll hear that. But there's a couple of things that I wanted to ask you, man. I'm going to get straight into, into the business. You know, when I first heard of SETI, and I was young, and I'm talking about now in the 70s, you know, I was so excited because I never knew that something like this existed. And I've always believed that there's something out there, always, from the from when I can remember, I've believed in these things. And, you know, the, the I thought, we got to find something. We're going to find it so quickly. We're going to find it differently. But it's there's been silence, like complete silence. So... When you first started working at SETI, you know, what was it that drew you to go to SETI? Why did you land up going to SETI? Well, I think primarily because it's a big picture question whether there are aliens out there or not, right? Yeah. I mean, most jobs don't deal with really big picture questions. I mean, you know, you're repairing cars or selling insurance or whatever. All that's fine. But here you're asking a question that, you know, people have been interested in ever since they looked mm-hmm. up at the sky. So it is a big picture question, and it's an opportunity because never before in human history, right, have we had the ability to try and find a signal. And that's something new, the fact mm-hmm. that you could prove that there are aliens. So I think that that's what appealed to me about it. And, of course, obviously, I was interested in astronomy. I studied astronomy. So I, I think that's it. I think it was, you know, like being the first person to go to the moon or something like that. It's a, a situation that only happens one time in the history of humanity. And, you know, finding proof of the aliens is like that. Okay. So now the path that you want, because, I mean, you're an astronomer. Were you, were you, were your heart set to go to, to, to work at SETI? Was that your plan from the beginning? No, no, not at all. I've had too many plans. <laughs> and besides, what I studied in, uh, in, in school, uh, grad school in any case, was galaxies and how galaxies spin around. And uh, I actually found that galaxies spin too quickly, which is an important thing, it turns out, because that indicates that uh, there's something called missing matter in the universe. But it wasn't about SETI, although I have to say that every time I had some extra telescope time, you know, I'd be at the observatory late at night. I'd usually be the only one on the site. 
And I'd uh, occasionally, you know, just look up the coordinates of some nearby star systems and observe them. No, didn't tell anybody, just did it, just in case. Just in case. I didn't find anything that way, but it could have could have been different. Okay. All right. And then, you know, looking at our technologies now. So I think uh, if I can recall, Sputnik 1 was in 1957. We launched into space, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So if, you, if you're looking from that time to today, which is now 67 years, uh, 67 years on, our technology is pretty new. Where do you see our technology in the next 67 years? Well, you know, the, the predictions made about technology are usually, in a sense, very obvious, and, uh, and mine will be as well. And that is that what we're doing now, we'll be able to do more quickly, right? That's usually how technology proceeds. Suddenly, you know, you can, you can do it better. In this case, better means you'd be able to look at where, uh, a wider band, a wider bit of the radio spectrum, if you will, the radio dial. Uh, that's certainly going to happen, and you'll have more sensitivity because we'll build bigger radio telescopes and that sort of thing. Uh, if you're talking about, you know, close to 70 years, then we might even find the money to build an array of antennas on the backside of the moon, which would be a good thing because that's the one place in the universe that's permanently shielded from all the radio noise that comes off of Earth and really gets in the way of your search. So, you know, to say, yes, the search will be better, I, I think that's pretty obvious, but what you can't predict very well are developments in science that really change the way you think about the whole subject. And that, that's hard to say. I mean, obviously, the, the best thing to happen would be to find a signal, right? Because then we could mm -hmm. look at the signal and decide if there's anything interesting in it. And some message, presumably, there'd be a message. And that would change everything on, on Earth, I suspect. But, you know, you can mm -hmm. predict that. I bet everybody a cup of coffee, it'll happen. <laughs> but there's no guarantee. Yeah, because I've I've heard your predecessor was always the ten years, the ten year stories. Next ten years, next ten years, next ten years. You're not like my, that though. You you my, you, my, you like. I'm, I'm interested in the predecessor. Yeah, the guy, <laughs> Frank uh, Drake. Oh, Frank, Frank Drake. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, that's where my prediction came from, actually, because Frank. Yeah. Uh, I noticed when I joined the institute, Frank Drake would get asked this question frequently. Yeah. Essentially, invariably. And he, I, I figured he would say, well, nobody knows, but he didn't. He said, well, I think within so many <laughs> years. Yeah. And I actually did a little bit of work before making my predictions, which includes the cup of coffee if you win. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah. All right. And then look, obviously, us being pretty new in space with our current technology, what I know we're looking for life as we know it, our type of life forms. And, and, you know, this analogy always comes to me. It's like you've got a caveman that's in the forest trying to yell at a Boeing going past, trying to communicate with it. It's never going to happen. So what I'm trying to get at is our technology, I don't even think is even close to trying to discover these things that are probably light years ahead of where we are currently. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think do you think there are maybe civilizations that may have something on our path, on our line of where we are currently? Well, uh, keep in mind, Lee, there are roughly a trillion planets, right, in the Milky Way galaxy. That's our galaxy. We can see 200 billion other galaxies, each with a trillion planets. So mm -hmm. while most of these planets are not very interesting when it comes to life, uh, when you have such huge numbers 
you're going to have a lot that are, that are suitable, that presumably do have life. So uh, the idea that you might find some evidence of that isn't such a long shot, in my opinion. Right? If, if there were only 10 planets we could look at and hope to find a signal, then I would agree with you. You know, there's no guarantee you're going to find anything at all. But when you're talking about, you know, trillions per galaxy, and there are, I'm sure, trillions of galaxies, but there are at least hundreds of billions, <laughs> yeah. then, uh, you know, it's like buying an awful lot of lottery tickets. Most of them are going to be losers, but not all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you're, you've, got a, you've got a great idea. Your idea is to look for technology rather than life forms because if they've managed to get out into space their technology would be detected by us pretty easily i think that's actually a fantastic idea so the technologies that you guys are, are looking for i'm assuming uh, i have heard you talking about those what they're called dyson spheres that go around the, around their suns and you know those kind of things those would be pretty easy to detect from 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 earth though wouldn't they well it depends on how big a dyson sphere they've built uh, dyson yeah. spheres to those who don't know it's just a way of trying to capture most of the energy radiated by your home star, if you will, mm. by surrounding it with a, you know, a sphere of solar collectors or a partial sphere, at least. And uh, those actually are not necessarily so easy to find uh, mm. because to begin with, they're, they're kind of dark looking from the outside, right? Because they're enclosing the star. Mm -hmm. uh, but what they do do is they warm up a little bit because of the, the heat of the star. And so you see an infrared source, which you hadn't noticed before. But it, you know, it, it isn't going to look very different than a warmed-up planet or a bunch of asteroids. Or there are a lot of other things that it could look very similar to. So it's, it's not so clear that you're going to find a Dyson sphere, even if there are some. Mm. But it's at least one thing you can try and find. Yeah. Okay. The James Webb Telescope, which launched in 2021. Which look the, the images that have come back are absolutely fantastic, but what what sensors have they actually put on there that assists you guys with trying to find life on, uh, out there? Well, I think the prim the primary one would be the fact that the James Webb Space Telescope, which is an infrared telescope, yeah. uh, you know, it's pretty good at finding planets, and planets are uh, again really hard to find. I mean, obviously the ones in our own solar system we know about. But finding them in somebody else's solar system is quite hard because they're they're pretty dark, right? They shine only by reflected light. So compared to a star, they're they're pretty dim. Uh, but the you know the infrared capabilities of the James Webb Space Telescope are such that it, it can find planets, you know, uh, under certain circumstances. And I think that the biggest contribution James Webb could make to SETI. This is strictly speculative, but mm -hmm. on my opinion, uh, from my point of view, I would say the biggest thing it can do is give us a better handle on how many planets out there really are there. I mean, how many planets are there in the universe and how many of them are the type that could support life? I think that's the biggest thing it'll do. But I mean, it, it could find the aliens too, depending on what the aliens have built. Are you allowed to have access to? The James Webb scope, don't you? You know, I've I've heard some some of your uh, discussions where your funding is pretty minimal, and I know you've got a you've got to purchase time on certain telescopes. Do you, are you allowed to have access to to the James Webb scope, or do you have to actually come up with funds to try and use the software and whatever it is to do your research? 
No, Lee, uh, you you have access to the James Webb Space Telescope. Oh, really? okay. Yeah. No, okay. it's it's a uh, you know it was funded by tax dollars, so it's doesn't cost anything to use. Not directly, you okay. don't have to pay James Webb, okay. but uh, you know, of course you have to have the right equipment and and the expertise to use it. But you can put in a proposal and say, look, I I need a hundred hours of time on this telescope to do this, and if the science review committee for the telescope says this is a good idea. It'll produce some interesting science, and you get the time. It's, okay. It's very straightforward. It's like the Hubble. Hubble Space Telescope is the same way, too. Anybody All can right. use the Hubble, but you have to have a good idea. Okay. Will, do you want to ask something? It sounded like you want to ask something. No, no, okay. I'll go ask some stuff at the deck. Really. Uh, okay, cool. We got to head off on to artificial intelligence. All right, so <laughs> with with the with the rate we're moving now, and Elon Musk's ideas of where we're going with artificial intelligence, look, it's sometimes a little bit scary with his ideas. However, it could it could be beneficial, I suppose. It depends on on, on which way we go with it. But what are your what are your thoughts on AI? Because I know they've got these experiments that they're trying to do with consciousness onto a hard drive, and they're trying to put your memories onto a hard drive, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to put these chips in your brain and all sorts of stuff. And uh, I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan at all. Have you have you watched any of these uh, Star Trek series yet? Yes, I've, yes, I've, I've even been on panels with some of the uh, people who play the okay. lead characters at Star Trek. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's because the, they've got this, is the Borg. Now, the Borg, are obviously, for, for some of our listeners that don't know, <laughs> The Borg are half human and half artificial intelligence. It seems that our, our our race, our civilization, is heading that direction. What are your thoughts on 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 AI? Do you think it's a you know? Do you think it's something that we should steer clear of? Do you think it's something that we could use to benefit us? Yeah, well, I'm quite sure. I'm quite sure we're not going to steer clear of it. I mean, yeah. you you may you may wish to do that, but you'll only wish to do that up until the point when you notice that. All your competitors, both in commercial markets and everywhere else, are using it to their benefit, and you've essentially hobbled your abilities to do anything. Mm -hmm. the, the, the question is, at what point does artificial intelligence become an actual threat to humans? I mean, you can always pull out the plug. Uh, you, you don't have to keep it running. <laughs> there are questions about that. I mean, I, I myself wonder, you know, well, does this mean that humans are sort of out of the loop in the future, in the near future? And uh, they're no longer running the planet. That could be that could be the case. I mean, it's just in a way the next stage in evolution. Rather than having a some sort of creature that runs things, we'll have this machine run things. And I, I think that in the uh, current context, maybe what's most interesting about that is that if you think that this makes sense, and I I do in any case, then that means that the aliens you're likely to find are also likely to be artificial intelligence. Artificial. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> that's because I thought our next step, if we're going to head from the Borg, our next step from the Borg is the Terminator, the T2s. So our whole physique is now different. We don't need hearts and lungs. We don't need this bi biology that we have currently. We are all some sort of material that these things are made out, of, made out of. We've got our memories, sure. But then we'd be able to live on any planet. We could live on Pluto. We can live on Mercury. We can we can live wherever because it's not really going to affect our biology as much. And that may be, you know, I was, I was thinking about this, and this actually may be 
we we might not be finding these things and we we're looking at a plane we say nah there's never we can we there's no ways life can be there but it might not be life as we know it it might be artificial life yeah well i think that makes perfect sense i mean again we're kind of limited when we think of aliens we usually think of biological aliens that's mm. because most of the authors that have written about encounters with aliens picture some sort of living thing but as you point out the ais don't have to be alive to be clever right and mm. they have tremendous advantages i mean you think of what well, what's the use plan if you will for humans all right you get born you have some fun for six years then you go to school for 20 or 30 years don't have quite as much fun then you go out into the world and take a job for a while and then you die and they put you in the ground that's you know I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound too glamorous there, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it is a little disappointing. Whereas the, the machine just can sit on a desk and, you know, the, the, maybe cogitate or think more useful things than uh, all the humans put together. It's, yeah. it's definitely the way to go and it doesn't die. So, yeah, I think that the artificial intelligence just may take over the world. I know that sounds a little melodramatic, but... Uh, I, I think in the sense that I'm talking about, yes, it can and it will. And if it's going to happen here, it's going to happen elsewhere, too. So I suspect that if we do find the aliens, we should not be surprised to find that they have wires coming out the back. Yeah, I agree 100%. Then we all become I'm going to take... Sorry, what's it, Will? Then we, all, we all become batteries, like in the, in the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> battery operator. Taking a step a little bit back, Let's go back in time now. So a lot of theory has it that we were genetically engineered by some sort of ET race many, many moons back, some couple of hundred thousand years ago. And we are a byproduct of this thing. And obviously, the if you look at the Bible and the Mahabharata and all these kinds of things, it kind of mentions these type of things with flying cities, you know, the Vamanas and those kind of things. What are your thoughts on this? You know, I, well, I know people don't really ask you those questions, but uh, what are your thoughts on these ancient civilizations? And well, I mean, it, it, it generates a lot of interest. I mean, Ancient Aliens is a very popular television show here. Mm. I don't know about in South Africa, but and it, it postulates that there are aliens out there that have been around for a long time. Mm. Uh, but basically, it's just a framework for a TV series about very human-like interactions. Uh, you know, uh, nothing unreasonable about that, that but being engineered by uh, uh, another race or even by machines or something something from another planet, to me, that there, there's a lot. I think you need a lot more evidence if you're going to say that, because <laughs> we're very closely related to, you know, your cat or your dog. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you take this, the skeletons of a human and place it down on next to the skeleton of essentially any animal on the planet, you know, well, they both have spines and rib cages. And so, I mean, the the design is very, very similar. And so that sounds to me like everything on earth is related. And at a level, a molecular level, you know, looking at the DNA, there's no doubt that we're related to everything else that's alive on this planet. So if the aliens really seeded the earth with humans, to begin with, why did they wait 4 billion years for the humans, right? There's been mm -hmm. life on this planet for 4 billion years. And it wouldn't all look like it came from the same organism. I, I think we look too much like everything else to to support, uh, support that theory but it's an you know it's, it's not nice fodder for a, for a science fiction story or movie 
Yeah. Well, look, you know, I must say, you know, we had a chat to Avi last week and, you know, you guys are very similar in thought. You, you're very logical, which is great. So you, back to the Star Trek analogy, you like our Spock to our Kirk. You know, you, you always, you always need the, uh, the, the logic in the, in the conversation to, you know, to get the things going. <laughs> we fly well, by the I, seat of our pants, hey, William? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, well, I think that that's just the result of studying science. I don't know that there's anything very miraculous about nah, it. No, but, the, you, you know, you've always got the two different people in the world. You've got the people that are logical, which is fantastic to have, and you've got the guys that dream dream a lot. But, they dream but, uh, maybe, maybe too much. On that on that point, um, Seth, yeah. do, you, do you find any of the ufology, like, interesting or uh, follow it secretly or... Oh, follow it secretly. Why would I do it secretly if I were doing it? <laughs> you might be the uh, tin hat guy. I mean, you don't want to be the tin hat guy, you know, especially in your line of work. Uh, oh, well, yeah, I don't know many scientists who think that we're being visited. Uh, but polls show that, you know, something like, I don't know, I guess it's more than half of the American public thinks that Earth is being visited by aliens, something on that order. Yeah. So uh, it's a very popular idea and it's a great you know, beginning of a storyline. So it has that advantage for television, at least, and the movies. But if we were being visited, I don't think that the evidence would be so incredibly cryptic as it is now, right? If you go to your local science museum and, you know, you look for the exhibit about visitors from space, you probably won't find anything because there's no science in it. We don't have any good evidence for that. And if they were visiting for a long time, according to you know, UFO lore, they've been here since 1947, I think. That's mm -hmm. a long time, but they haven't done anything. They don't kill people. They don't help us out. They don't cure diseases. They don't do anything. <laughs> so from my point of view, we're being visited by UAPs or UFOs or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Uh, they've been a big disappointment so far. Yeah, sure. But that like the 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 Nimitz incident with the Tic Tac, they call it the Tic Tac with David Fraser and, and, and that... When, and also with like Dave Grush, when he goes to Parliament um, in America there and he, um, you know, uh, uh, before Congress and he gives his like statement. I mean, even though he doesn't really have any evidence, but he says, he, well, what do you think of all of that? Like, well, let's just start with the Tic Tac. What do you think of the Tic Tac incident? Well, the, the, the videos, there are three videos, one of them being Tic Tac. Uh, and, you know, they're kind of puzzling. They've all been made by gun sight cameras on American fighter jets. And, uh, you know, you can explain them all, actually, very prosaically, usually with simply phenomena that are intrinsic to the gun sight cameras, right? It's, it, you know, you, you don't see too many of these uh, videos from commercial airliners. I don't know that they even have cameras on, you know, pointing forward, but, you know, there are other, other kinds of uh, aircraft that do. And, more than that, there are tens of thousands, really hundreds of thousands of amateur astronomers throughout the world, not just in the United States, they're everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And, they, you know, if it's a clear night, a lot of them are outside with their telescopes and they don't seem to see these things, right? You don't see too many reports around amateur astronomers. We have spacecraft, something like 8,000 or something that are actually still working, and most of them are pointed back down toward Earth, and they don't see these things either. And you can say, oh, well, the government's covering it up. Americans love that idea, uh, conspiracy ideas, because, you know, they, they can explain anything. But they're not all, not all government satellites to begin with, and they're certainly not all American satellites. 
So I would say that the evidence for this, while it's an intriguing story, I don't see any good evidence for it at all. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. And then also just said yourself, have you ever looked up at the sky? I mean, without your all of your equipment and that, and ever seen something um, strange yourself? Sure, Even with the equipment, with the equipment. Well, with the equipment, it's very much more difficult because yeah. we're using radio telescopes and the telescopes they use, any telescope, has a very small, uh, you know, view of the sky. It's like looking at the, the sky through a soda straw or something. So uh, the chances okay. that anything that's in, say, our atmosphere would, would fly by you is pretty small. So the fact you don't see anything there doesn't actually surprise me. I don't think that's terribly significant. But what is significant are the thousands of other uh satellite cameras that are trained on the earth right mm -hmm. i mean you know, I mean, you look at your nightly weather report right they have these photos of the clouds over africa and so forth i mean you know maybe they wouldn't see something like this because it'd be too small but those are just the weather satellites there are many others that are used by the defense department for you know reconnaissance of a different sort and they would see things and i i just think that if somebody was visiting us there would be evidence of that Mm. Okay, but I, and yourself personally, just looking up at the sky, have you ever seen anything strange that you like? Wow, that's pretty interesting. Well, not since I was about eight or nine years old. I haven't. No. Okay, what did you what did you see? <laughs> Can you no, it was just something moving uh, through the star fields, right? A little point of light. But when you get older, you realize that those are satellites. Those are made by humans. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what an anti-climax of the <laughs> well you were you were expecting something to um land on the white house man uh, well no no, no. Hey? Saying, like, he saw it was like, <laughs> as a kid you probably like wow that's so cool and then like then later on in his life it's kind of a satellite damn it it's a satellite <laughs> so seth a quick one man you know if you if you look at your life where you are currently you know, if you had if you had a time machine and you had to pop back in in time, would you ever change anything? Is there some is there things that you regret doing? Things that you regret maybe you should have done, uh, with regards well, to your work? Well, I, I don't know. I think that the latter part of the nineteenth century was a maybe an interesting time to be around because of the develop, rapid development of science and technology, and that yeah. might have been fun to see. But honestly, I mean, if you had the chance to go to another period of time in Earth's history, yeah. I would choose something, uh, you know, one or 200 years in the future, not just yeah. out of curiosity, but also because they could fix any disease you got. Yeah. I'd be in favor of that. And yeah. then a quick last question on my side, well, before maybe if you want to ask some things, the funding for SETI is pretty poor from the government side. Uh, am I right on that? The guys don't yes. really give you too much funding. No, but it, isn't it's... isn't it beneficial for them to actually rather give you more funding than waste too much money on weaponry that we're trying to kill each other? Should we not try and uh, use a little bit more of the funds to try and find our neighbors than to kill each other? Well, that's a political statement, and that's what you might do if you were elected to office. Not everybody would do that. <laughs> Many people here would say, "Look, you know, job number one for the government is to keep you from being killed by some other." hostile mm -hmm. nations. So, you know, that that's a political thing that has not much to do with the science and certainly mm -hmm. not much to do with aliens unless the aliens have decided to invade, which so far they have not. Yeah. All right. So the funding is pretty poor, but you now, you know if somebody wanted to get involved with funding, how would they do, how would they do that? Well, uh, anybody can go to the SETI Institute's website, seti.org, 
Okay. And, uh, you know, we try to make it easy for you to donate to the cause if you want to do that. All right. Um, I'll put the link on our site. Yes. Just in case. Yeah, 100%. Thank without you. a doubt. No problem. Well, Seth, yeah, just, uh, just for our listeners, can you just explain like like what um, the technology or the methods you are using to try and, and, and make contact? What what's, yeah, what, is, what are the technology? Yeah. Well, what we do is simply listen. We don't broadcast messages to the aliens and say, hey, get in touch with us or anything like that. Uh, mm. The main reason we don't, some people would say, oh, it's dangerous to do that. I don't know if it's dangerous or not, but uh, we don't do it because it would take too long, right? Even if the aliens are at a hundred light years distance, that would be still relatively close for, uh, you know, a star system. I, but, but say it was a hundred light years just to make the math easy. That means if you broadcast a, a transmission, hi, we're the Earthlings, we'd just love to get in touch with you guys. It would take 100 years for that signal to reach them and another 100 years for their reply to get here, by which point 200 years have gone by and your funding is probably gone. So, you know, you're con confined to looking at the nearest star systems and uh, not a whole lot of them, unless you assume that the aliens are broadcasting, not for your benefit, but for some other reason, and you just uh, eavesdrop on those signals. So that's that's fundamentally what SETI usually does. And you, compile a list of the, you know, thousand or million nearest star systems. And one after another, we uh, observe them with big antennas, radio telescopes, and see if there's any, you know, uh, signals coming from that direction. It's pretty okay. straightforward in principle. All right. But like you said, I think you, you guys scan uh, a very small section of the sky. Do, do you, how long does it take before you get across the whole, you know, our whole scope? Well, it depends on how, you know, how, how many stars in each part of the sky you're going to look at. Right? Yeah. Most stars are far away. You look at the nearest ones first, of course, because yeah. the signals will be stronger if the aliens are closer. So, so you know, we've, we've looked at probably, you know, 10,000 of the nearest star systems already, but maybe we were looking at the wrong frequency or maybe our receivers didn't have enough sensitivity. So, you know, mm. you keep doing many of the same things over and over with better equipment. And maybe at some point you you actually find a signal, that would change you know the name of the game, of course. No, hundred percent. Yeah, I remember Stephen Steve Hawkins saying, uh, "Don't remember." Oh, I mean, you never know what's actually true online or not. But there was a thing that he said apparently that's why guys don't send signals out to space because that's dangerous because like <laughs> don't want them coming to us. Yeah. 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 Well, I did. I do, I do believe that Stephen Hawking made some comment along those lines. But if he didn't, there are many of other people that do as well. However, if you're really paranoid and you feel, look, this is not a good idea, don't make any transmissions to the sky. Uh, you should, you know, turn off the TV uh, channels, right? and the radar, and you know, and radio. Because apparently, yeah. yeah, I mean, our radio signals are just going into space anyway. I mean, those things. Yeah, are they do. Everything goes. Everything just, goes. Yeah. Well, they're, yeah. They're, they're, that's right. Although. It has to be said that uh, what we call AM radio in the United States, medium wave in Europe, they call it, uh, that doesn't go into space very well because it bounces off the ionosphere. But that's a technical matter. Television does go out into space. Radar does go out into space. And uh, if the aliens have a big enough receiving setup, uh, they could find that. Yeah, 100%. Okay. So the nearby ones know we're here. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. cool. Anything else, Wolf, from your side? No, I'm I'm good, Lee. I'm good. All right. 
Well, fantastic. Seth, you know, it's been so, so cool to have you. Sorry that I woke you up so early. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did try, I did try and uh, get you before. I know you're busy this evening, so I don't want to, I don't want to waste your, your evening with us right. while you could be having dinner with your wife. Okay. H happy anniversary, by the way. Is it my anniversary? Yeah, I think you said it was your anniversary dinner. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Check quickly. It's check. Not, it's, it's not an anniversary, but it is getting <laughs> getting getting close to uh, her birthday. So. Okay. Well, I've I've reminded you about the birthday. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Terrific. All right. Fantastic. So, thank you very much for uh, for coming on board. Thanks so much, okay. Seth. Really lovely, lovely talking to you, man. Appreciate well, it. You guys are you guys were fun to talk to too. Great. Thanks, Seth. Cheers, eh? <laughs> Bye. Cheers, Seth. Um. Uh, there was a thing. Um, he said something, but I don't want to push him too much. Um, are you about the tic tac? Is it about the tic? Yeah. So I, well, I don't want to push it, but like I just, you know, I was just thinking. Oh, there was eyewitness from, I mean, especially David Frazier. And I mean, it's so funny because people go like, "Yeah, but you know, he it could be anything. Like, uh, you know, he could have seen." But I mean, he's a trained pilot. He's like he knows what's in the air. Like he's, that's what his job is to know what's in the air. Like at vast distances from our side. Mm -hmm. So obviously, what he's seen is something that he can't explain. And it was quite close, yeah. apparently. So, yeah, but I, I think the problem that he's having is the fact that there's so many cameras pointed on Earth from space and from all over the place, but they, these things don't tend to pick up much. I mean, yeah, yeah you do check when you're looking at the space station uh, footage every now and then you see something, but yeah, it's weird. It's like the guys in, you know, that want to rob your houses and that. They know where all the cameras are, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, watch that camera there, man. We're going to slide underneath that one and slip into the house through the toilet. Great <laughs> <laughs> pants. Eh? Yeah, shit. So... Yeah, anyway, yeah. All right, no, cool, man. Well, yeah, that's it uh, for tonight, guys. Thank you for joining us. A little bit of a shorter one tonight. Um, hopefully interesting for everybody out there. And thank you to all our listeners. Awesome, guys. Thank you very much for supporting and, and downloading and listening to us. And if anybody's got suggestions, yeah, feel free to send it to us. You'll find us uh, on Podbean and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and everywhere else. And yeah, that's it. Well, thank you and yeah, have a good evening, man. We'll chat to you next week. Yeah, thanks, Dean. Catch you later. Like a buddy. Cheers, guys. Bye.